Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monroe Method Clancast. Um, that sounds a lot better than whatever the long one was I was doing before. Okay, so episode number three we are on. I took a break over Christmas and New Year for obvious reasons. Um, as you know, I like to try and do these on a rotation, so I do a week where I have a live chat inside the group. Uh, this week, on Thursday just past, we spoke about the pitfalls of black and white thinking. And soon after we do the live chat, the, the weekend, over the weekend, in the weekend post, inside our Clan Monroe group, I ask the question, what would you like me to talk about in the next episode of the podcast? What questions do you have? What problems can we try and solve? Um, so let us take a look and let's see what I can cram in in 45 minutes. Now, I, one thing I'm not doing, here's a thing that comes up all the time. Protein. I want protein tips and I want fiber tips. You cannot fill a podcast with this, right? If you want to eat more protein, then you need to eat more protein. You need to eat more foods that have protein in them. Inside our group, we have endless resources showing you where protein comes from. Find things on those lists that you like and eat more of them. Incorporate more of them into your meals. Do you know what, actually? I came up with this thing today. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Why not? I was standing doing the dishes today. And I was thinking about protein and plants. Because I, Actually, I made a recipe. I put it on my Instagram stories. I made this recipe. And it ended up, it was quite high in protein and quite high in fiber. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? This is pretty much plant-based, apart from the chicken I've added. But the spring onions, the garlic, the mushrooms, the soy sauce, the sesame oil. What else? The salt and pepper seasoning. The noodles, because the noodles were actually cognac noodles, which are made from the cognac root, a plant. I was like, you know what, this is like an entirely... On peas, I had peas in it as well. I was like, this is a plant-based meal, or plant-centric would be the correct term. So mostly orientated around plants, but I did put some chicken in there because I am a meat eater. Uh, but then it got me thinking, how cool a concept would that be if, you know, if, if we move away from tracking calories, my fitness pal, check, all of those things, and you could say to someone, right, if you want to lose weight without counting a calorie, without tracking anything, without having to go to Slimming World or drink shakes or, you know, Herbalife, all that shit. You could just follow the two Ps. But then I changed it to the three Ps. So here is my new three P thing that I just came up with today. And you are all hearing it first. So the three Ts, three Ps, sorry. Prioritize protein and plants. So basically that means, that is essentially what the Monroe Method is about, right? We prioritise protein, we prioritise plants through our fibre intake, although some people want to try and, you know, cheat the fibre thing without plants, taking supplements, that was another question I was asked last week. Um, but that's essentially what it is. You know, for the vast majority of people that I work with, they are people who are overeating obviously because they have weight to lose they are overweight and they have some aspect of their nutrition not necessarily overeating sorry it could also be you know calorific drinks alcohol could be involved but you know for the most part these people are over consuming in some shape or form and 
you know, I often find that you know when you when you work with someone and you get to the the first check-in during the first fortnight, it's either it's either been a revelation for them or like a massive eye opener. So you, I can usually you know I'll, I'll learn two things. Yeah, there's pretty much the the first check-ins can go one of two ways, right? Someone will join, they'll read through the stuff, we'll do their starting stats, and off they go for their first fortnight. And then they'll come for their check-in. And we will either see someone that is showing you how they have always eaten or how they how they've been eating prior to joining because they've just focused on calories. Or you'll see someone making an attempt at improving their nutrition because they've tried to do everything to focus on calories and macros. Now, what you the, both of these are great, right? Because it's it's a great opportunity to coach people from two different aspects. So you can, for the person that's just focused on calories for the first fortnight, which is fine, by the way. You know, it can sometimes it can feel overwhelming to some people. You know, trying to do everything all at once. So some people will just focus on calories for the first two weeks and not really pay much attention to the quality of their diet. And that's fine. Uh, because, you know, it gives me such a great coaching opportunity because you can then say, do you know what? There are, you know, we can see from this balance of nutrition that there is a massive hole in your diet or there are two massive holes in your diet or we can see that your diet is very high in fat and you know, quite quickly, you can say, you know, here's a few reasons as to why you might have gained weight or you might be gaining weight. So this is a reflection of what your diet was like before joining. The difference now is you're tracking it and now we can see the numbers attached to it. And you'll tend to find, you know, we'll, we'll do the check in, we'll have the template and we'll get to the hunger thing. It's like, yeah, I've been really hungry. And you'll look and go, right, well, that's because you're consuming next to no protein and your fiber intake is extremely low. But what you've tried to do is you have tried to eat less without improving the quality of your diet. And that's why you're so hungry. And, you know, in that instance, like a diet lacking protein and fiber is a hungry diet. So this is where the whole prioritize protein and plants, the three P's comes from. Because if someone's diet is lacking in protein, remember, protein is the has the highest satiety rating of the three main macronutrients, so of carbs, fats, and protein, a diet high in protein will be a filling diet because protein has the highest, what's the word, how's, I'm trying to think of the way I'm trying to word it, most satiating that I was looking for. Protein is the most satiating. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to satisfy you because, you know, you might want pizza. And instead you have a chicken breast and the chicken breast doesn't satisfy you because you want a pizza. But from a physiological aspect, protein will fill you up quicker than carb. Sorry, that's not true. Protein will fill you up for longer than carbs will or fats will. So a diet low in protein is a hungry diet. Um, and you you know you find that people that people that have very high carb diets, you know you listening right now, this might strike a chord with you. You know how often, how many times have you had a meal, had your dinner, and been hungry an hour later? How many times have got you to the end of a big plate of food, and thirty minutes later you're like, I could have eaten that again. You know if you just someone that sits down to, you know imagine a situation where someone just sits down to a plate of 
500 grams of cooked pasta. Just, that's it. Just cooked pasta. They'd be hungry an hour later. Now take someone that sits down to 500 grams of cooked pasta with a couple of hundred grams of cooked chicken breast in it. Yes, it, oh, in fact, no, let's let's swap it. Let's take 300 grams of pasta now. Let's take 200 off it and replace 200 of that with cooked chicken. The, the same weight, however, we've now introduced protein. That meal will be more satisfying. And we can further amplify that by the introduction of plants, by the introduction of fibre. Because fibre has a similar effect. It takes up space in the stomach. It leaves you feeling more satisfied. Um, you know, and it's not just about, you know, we, we need to get out to the idea, the, the habit of thinking about just filling a hole. I tried to tell this to my son the other day, actually. He, he was very hungry, super hungry, right? And I was making his lunch. And he was like, Dad, could, could I have a slice of bread and butter with this? In fact, could I have two slices of bread and butter with this? And I tried to explain to him that, it doesn't matter how hungry you are. The size of hole that you are filling remains the same. All that's happened is you've gone a longer time without eating. You know, and it's the same idea that sometimes people think, oh, you know, I've missed breakfast, so I need to eat double the amount at lunch. It doesn't work like that. So we need to get out of the idea of thinking about, you know, food volume and unnecessarily adding things in based on, the level of hunger that we have. But that's what I mean by the whole, you know, we're not just trying to eat to fill a hole. We actually have to think about the kind of long-term impact of what we are eating. And it, it's it's a mistake that people make, you know, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have time for a lunch today. So what I'll do is I'll have a really big breakfast. I mean, that doesn't necessarily work because it's not just about food volume. Because again, it's not just about filling the hole. It's how you fill the hole and how long the hole, <laughs> why are we talking about holes? How long the hole stays filled for. I've ruined the whole, the whole thing for me now. I'll need to move on. Um, so yeah, it's not just about filling your stomach. It's not just about temporarily making the hunger go away. It's actually taking the time to consider, you know, how long is this meal going to satisfy me for? God, I remember, I remember being sat in a soft play with my son and there was a mother with her little boy and he came back from playing and he asked for something to eat and she said, you can't be hungry, you've just had crisps. Now, it was such a fucking nonsensical thing to say as if crisps are a meal. You've just had crisps, how could you possibly still be hungry? Crisps are not a three-course meal, right? Um, but yeah, it comes down to, you know, it's not just about volume of, of food. It's also about type of food and quality of food, the quality of foods that we consume. Anyway, the point is, you know, if you don't, if you do want to try and lose weight and you don't want to count a single calorie, and we know that protein is the most filling macro, macronutrient, we know that fiber has a very similar effect, so if we then decide that I am going, the only thing I am going to change about my diet is that I am going to prioritize protein and plants at every meal as often as I can. And prioritizing doesn't just mean, 
choosing them as part of a meal or having them on your plate or having them as part of what you eat. It also means prioritizing them as you eat them, for example. Let's think about Christmas dinner. Um, So what do we have at Christmas dinner? We've got some turkey, some roast potatoes, maybe some mashed potatoes, some pigs in blankets, sprouts, carrots, whatever else you have on there. This is probably isn't going to be a good example. Let's do a different one. Let's do an easier one because that's just going to get too technical. Let's say we have a, a roast chicken dinner and we have roast chicken, we have a bunch of chips and we have, I don't know, a few different vegetables, carrots, peas, sweet corn, whatever. Now, <clears throat> this plate of food, we can we can we can eat it in a way that we might not need to eat it all and therefore consume all of the calories. So, for example, here's something that I used to do when I had terrible eating habits, um, especially when I was younger, because I come from a family where it was like, yeah, you're not leaving the table until you've finished your dinner, cleared your plate. I'm sure many people listening to this went through the exact same. Um, Not only that, I also wanted to get away from the table because I wanted to go play. You know, I wasn't big on eating when I was younger. Meal times were the annoying interruption between play times for me. So not only did I create the habit of um, clearing every, every plate because you weren't allowed to leave until your plate was clear or you didn't get, you know, there was like conditional permission to eat treats. You won't get any sweets unless you eat all your dinner. So it's like, yeah, well, I want sweets. So of course I'm going to eat all my dinner. I also developed a habit of becoming a fast eater. Because the faster I could eat, the faster I could get back to playing, or the faster I could get treats, or the faster I could get away from the table. So I came up with, you know, tactics on how I could clear my plate so easily. So come back to the roast dinner. In the past, I would have looked at that and said, you know, uh, we used to call it at the dinner table, myself and my brother, we used to call it saving the best for last, where we would save the tastiest part of the meal for the end because we knew that no matter how full we are or sorry how full we were from everything else the taste of the last part was enough to override our level of fullness so you might sit there and say right I am going to eat all of my well maybe you wouldn't say I'm going to eat all my vegetables first but you might say I'm going to eat all of my chips first so you sit there and you eat until all your chips are gone and then you move on to your chicken and you start to eat the chicken, but you're starting to fill up a bit from the chips, and you get halfway through your chicken, and that's you, you're full. And you don't eat any of the vegetables. Maybe you pick at a couple of things, right? So now you've had this roast chicken dinner, and the reality is you've had a chip dinner with some chicken thrown in. And you've reached a level of fullness, and then you've put the meal away, and that's you. However, you ate very little protein, you didn't eat much in the way of fibre, so an hour later, you're hungry again. And you might think to yourself, well, I didn't eat very much at dinner. I just had some chips and a bit of chicken. But yeah, that's fine. But you're now going to have to eat something else because that meal didn't satisfy you for any length of time. So we can also prioritize protein and plants by looking at that dinner and saying, right, I am going to prioritize protein and plants. I'm going to prioritize my chicken and my vegetables. That doesn't mean that you don't eat the chips. It means that you don't eat them all if you don't feel like it. Uh, I mean, you can do what you want, but you get the idea. 
So you start with the chicken, maybe you have a chip involved, maybe you have some veg involved, but by the by the time that you are starting to reach fullness, most if not all of your chicken should be gone, most if not all of your veggies should be gone. And if you are reaching the point of fullness, then you stop eating. But the majority of what should be left on the plate should be the chips or the rice or this whatever this kind of starchy carb is, whatever's not going to promote satiety as much. And ideally, we want to get through that protein and get through that fiber. We want that to be the vast majority of what we consume because it's those things that determine how soon you're going to be hungry again afterwards. Does that make sense? So not only, not only can we prioritize protein and plants by choosing to consume them at each meal, we can also prioritize them by choosing to balance the way that we consume each meal to make sure those things aren't the things getting left behind, or at least not the majority of them being left behind. Anyway, that was not even something that was on my list to talk about, but never mind, that's the first 15 minutes down. (laughs) But yeah, the three Ps, get into the habit of that. I'm going to make a deal about that. This is how diets are born, by the way. This is how terrible people on, although this would be a good one, but this is how terrible people on Instagram and Facebook design um, diets. Do you know what? Actually, I had someone reach out to me on Instagram. One of these sh- stupid collaboration things. Ah, oh, so your your posts are really great, and I especially liked this one. You know, pretending like they've read it because they want you to check out their profile and maybe follow them. And it was like, you know, she had this five day craving crusher course, and it was ridiculous. What it was like. Take all the junk food out of the house, you know, instantly. Red flags. Take all the junk food. Negative labels. Anyway, but that would be a good one. The three Ps would be a great diet for someone to coin. Now, I wanted to dial in on one because it's something I used to struggle with a lot. Gary, how about dealing with eating when stressed, Jason, and how to combat it? Also, how often should we take body measurements? Take them as often as you like. It's entirely up to you. However, effectively, um, maybe three weeks. Three weeks would be the kind of sweet spot, I think. A week. You need to remember, you know, measurements aren't like scale weight. So, you know, when you, if you're measuring, if you're in a group and you're weighing yourself daily, you know, and it's like 80 kilos, 80 kilos, 80.1, 80.2, 80 kilos, and then boom, 79 or 79.5. That's a new low weight. And that is, we know that's body fat. And it's like a single point measure that measures your whole body. Measurements are tricky. Measurements are very tricky because they don't change as quickly. And we're taking measurements from different spots in the body, but we're still very limited in where we can measure from. So if you think about it, the the guidance that we have on taking body measurements is, so if you're you're doing like a limb, then we keep it down to one side. So let's just say it's the right side since I'm right-handed. So you would say, right, let's take the right bicep. So you would keep your arm relaxed and you would put the tape around the widest point around the tricep of the back of the arm and the bicep on the front of the arm. And you would take a measurement around the widest point. Now, the thing is, how that measurement comes out 
is determined on how loosely or tightly you are holding the tape. So there's there's quite a margin for error. It could be a few millimetres either way. You know, if you're measuring in centimetres or inches, you know, one day you might measure it. Oh God, I have no idea what, what a measurement might be from a bicep. <laughs> I'm looking at it like, what would that be? One, two, three, four, six, maybe. No idea. Let's just say 16 inches. So let's just say it's a 16 inch bicep. I could measure it today, it could be 16. I could measure it tomorrow, it could be 16 and a half. It's not really telling me much, is it? So it, it's, it's better to leave it a longer length of time, maybe three every three to four weeks, I would say. And that kind of helps override the margin for error. And yeah, the point I was making was, so the spots in the body would be like, um, round the bicep and tricep, round the chest, round the, the tummy, round the bum, round the hips, um, and a calf. And that would be it. But the problem is that these aren't the only places that we lose body fat from. So if you lose a kilo of weight and you measure these points, you might not see any difference because some of that fat might have came from your chin. Some might have came from your neck. Some might have came from your shoulders. Some might have come from your forearms. For God, some might have come from your fingers. How do you think your wedding ring, engagement rings go back on once you've lost weight? So we lose fat from places that we don't measure so they're not always you know as great you know it's best to have more than one method of progress tracking um on the go not just relying on a single a single measure um but yeah leave it a good length of time between doing it would be my advice anyway back to the one i want to talk about because this is something that i used to struggle with and still have little inclinations to do so Stress eating. What is stress eating? Basically, it is your body trying to give you something else to do to distract you from something that is causing you pain. That doesn't mean physical pain, that can be mental pain as well. That's what procrastination is as well. So, for example, let's say I have a mahusive workload on. It is a Monday morning, there are 30 check-ins sitting there from the night before. That's just standard. Now, that doesn't stress me out, right? But let's say that it could be stressful. Or maybe Louise is, I don't know, off and I've got to do them myself. Then it may become a little more stressful. Now, I could be tackling through them. I could sit there for an hour. I could get through four or five check-ins and be like, oh my God, I've only done four or five. There's another five came in. The number's not changed. It would be very easy to start to get stressed out about that. Now, we, you know, stress levels in the body start to elevate. We may feel a little anxious, overwhelmed, whatever else. And it's at that point that our body will say, do you know what? Now would be a great time to go and eat something. Just go eat something. Get away from the stress. Get away from this thing that is causing you pain. Because I don't like the way that you feel about this because of the way it's making me feel, me being the body. I don't like this. So I'm going to give you some suggestions on things that you can go do that aren't this and that will make me feel much better. And I think once you start to develop that awareness where you know that it's just your body trying to offer you suggestions of things, alternative things to do that won't cause you any issues. Now, the other one that I used to want to do was a stress nap. I might have lots of things to do, and maybe that Monday I described, 
and I would start, I would physically start to get sleepy. My body would be like, yeah, do you know what? This would be a great time, an absolutely brilliant time for you to go for a nap. You are very sleepy and your body starts to try and hypnotize you. And again, it's the suggest, and the thing is, once you've done it once, then you create that link where it knows that when they feel like this, they went and did this and that feeling went away. And that's where you start. So yeah, I'm starting to feel a bit sleepy with the stress. Oh, maybe I should go for a nap. And that's, you know, your body trying to get you away from. I, I'm, I say your body as if your body is like some master criminal mastermind trying to control you and make you do stuff. But it's it's, it's more a, it's like a protective thing. It's not necessarily telling you to go for a nap. It's the way that we decipher these feelings where we know that, oh, when I felt like that, I went for a nap and then I felt better. When I felt like that, I went to get something to eat and then I felt better until I didn't feel better because I felt shit afterwards. But once these connections are made, you know, I've spoken about this um, in the group about binge eating. You know, you could have someone who, do you know what, actually, here's a good one. I had a conversation with someone who didn't like a reply that I gave them which is fine. Um, but the question was, what, oh, what was the question I asked in the question box? What, was it maybe, what are you most excited for about 2022? Something like that. And they said, oh, I'm excited for COVID to be over so I can stop comfort eating. Um, and I replied to it and said, you know, it's, oh, what was it called? It was something like that. Anyway, and my reply was along the lines of, yeah, COVID isn't actually making you comfort eat. Oh no, it was a pandemic. She said the word pandemic. I want to be out of a pandemic so I can stop this comfort eating or the comfort, this pandemic's been making me comfort eat. Um, stress, same with the stress. Stress doesn't make us eat. A pandemic doesn't make us comfort eat. The, Things that happen around us do not make us do anything. We choose to react to these things. For example, stress, right? Some people stress eat, some don't. Whilst experiencing stress, if stress forced people to eat, then everyone would eat when stressed. If a pandemic forced people to comfort eat, everyone would comfort eat every time there was a pandemic. These things that happen around us don't force us to do anything. They don't make us do anything. We choose to react to how we feel about these things by stress eating, comfort eating, etc. So when Gary asks about dealing with stress eating, you know, it's probably important to, to accept and understand that stress isn't making us eat. We have just found a way of dealing with stress, we've found a way of making stress manageable when we do this. And because we've done it once and it kind of worked in some shape or form, then that's what we do all the time in the same way that people drink alcohol to deal with stress. 
it's like honestly it's the worst possible thing you could do I tried it when I was younger stressed oh I've earned it I've earned this these beers I've earned this bottle of wine this week and then you get drunk on a Friday night after a hard week at work and you wake up on Saturday feeling anxious and shit and like absolute garbage and then you start to question yourself what exactly was it I deserved what was it I deserved after the stressful week anxiety a terrible sleep feeling tired all day at the weekend making myself you know I've just worked for five days I've just had a drink and now on one of my two days off I have made myself feel like shit did I really you know deserve that um but yeah people use alcohol to manage stress and that's the thing once you do it once and even though you know it's only a temporary relief you still want to do it so ways to combat it I would say get a pen and a piece of paper in fact no here's the, here's a better thing to do in fact no this will be part of it but we'll do this first what I say to the guys in the group is um, not just for stress but any number of things imagine if a friend has called you and they've asked for advice they've said Jason I am so stressed out now I mean, I'm probably different. I'm a coach. So the first thing I would say is, why are you stressed? What is it that's making you stressed? Oh, it's work. It's the kids. It's the house. It's money. It's this. Cool. What can you do about it? Oh, well, I could do this and I could do that. Right, fine. Do that. <laughs> that, would be, that would be what I would say as a coach. But um, as a standard... Let's say a friend calls you up and they say, I am super stressed. I don't know what to do, right? And they say, oh, well, why, you know, what, what advice would you give to a friend then that called you and said they were stressed? Why don't you go for a nice bath? Why don't you light some candles? Why don't you go on to Woucher and see if there's any spa breaks and we'll go away for a weekend? Why don't you go for a nice walk? Why don't you go finish that book you were talking about? I've been watching something really good on Netflix. Why don't you go sit and chill out and watch this, right? And you would make all these suggestions. You would never in a million years say to someone, why don't you go to the kitchen and eat a full packet of custard creams? Why don't you go into the sweet cupboard and eat a full bag of Haribo Tang Fastics, which is very easily done, I can assure you. Why don't you go pop the Pringles open and not stop until your fingers scrape in the crumbs at the bottom? This is not advice that you would give to someone because you know that those aren't methods for coping with stress. So, take a piece of paper now and a pen and write down a list of things that you could do realistically at the times when you feel stressed. What's involved? Is it work? Is it the house? Is it a partner? Is it a situation? Is it an environment? Think of the times and places where you are, environments that you're in, people that you're with. What would be a realistic method of dealing with stress for you at that time if you need to or is it when you come home afterwards and you're thinking about a stressful day and you're doing something else? And write down a list of things that you could do, the list of advice that you might give to a friend, 
and write it down. All the things that you might enjoy doing. Because that's all you need. All you need is stress relief. This is why it's so important to manage stress. This is why I read my books in the morning, why I meditate, why I listen to sleep stories and meditations at night before bed, why I write in my six-minute journal every morning. I came up with this very profound quote, if I do say so myself. And it said, I'm pretty sure nobody else has come up with it because I've Googled it and I can't find it anywhere. It's better to water a garden daily than it is to drown it when it's too late. And what I meant by that was that it was more to do with mental health. But what I meant by that was it is better to manage something in a small way on a daily basis than it is to go completely overboard when it's too late. And that's why I read my books every morning, why I journal in the morning, why I meditate. Because I know that these things keep me in a great place. If I don't do those things, I might be all right for a few days, a week, maybe even two weeks, but I know there will come a point where I crash and burn. And once I reach that point, then I'll need days to recover. So, when it comes to managing stress and not stress, it comes to managing stress away from food. You know, and maybe taking the time to consider that when I do stress eat, what is it I'm trying to get out of it? What is the emotion you're trying to experience? Is it less stress? Are you trying to dampen the stress? Stress, Because the physical act of eating isn't going to resolve stress. It just acts. It just acts as a temporary distraction. In the same way that having a bottle of wine on a Friday night is a temporary escape from the realities of life, the things that are stressing you out. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. Um, where are we? Let me just check this list and see what other things people had asked about talking about. I think binge eating was an important, a popular one. I say popular, I think it was requested a few times. Um, have a great weekend. This is, uh, I think, reasons behind binge eating, the on-off mentality. That's something I spoke about in the live on Thursday. Up in the live chat. Fading the invest. Oh yeah, that was something I spoke about investing in ourselves. Okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. I don't know, I've read this one already. Okay, love the li- first. Love the first live chat. This is a new member. Had to watch it later when kids had gone to bed. Very helpful. I would like one meaning a podcast focusing on binge eating and impulse eating because of emotions or just habit. Also being able to say no when cakes are brought round the office. For example, when people are saying, oh go on, just have one. Have another treat. Have another one. Treat yourself. Sounds silly saying it, not being able to say no. Habit, maybe. So yeah. What can we tackle first there? Let's do emotional eating. Because it's kind of linked to what I was just talking about, so it's probably a good theme to keep going. So when it comes to experiencing that urge to overeat, right? That that feeling, that need, as in food is what I need right now. The act of eating is what I need right now, okay? 
we're experiencing an emotion, we're experiencing a feeling. And much like the answer I gave to Gary with regards to stress eating, it's the same, it's the same scenario. We are looking to get a temporary relief, but we're also looking sometimes to suppress a feeling, to make a feeling go away. Um, sometimes we are chasing a feeling. Sometimes we're trying to make ourselves feel better or make ourselves feel a certain way. So it's good to get into the habit of questioning your emotions. Not judging yourself, just questioning them. Because we have to get curious about how we are feeling and curious about why we want to react the way that we do. Why do we want to go and eat something in response to this emotion? Remember, we don't eat because of our emotions, right? We don't eat. Sorry, no, we do... Let me think of how I want to word that. Something's happened and it's upset you, right? So again, coming back to the example with the pandemic. Oh, I've been comfort eating because of the pandemic. No, you've been comfort eating because of how you feel about the pandemic. And the same with emotional eating. You know, oh, I'm emotionally eating because of this. Like, no, you're emotionally eating because of how you feel about that. So it's, we need to get curious and ask questions. So ask yourself, what is the feeling I have that I don't want to feel? Because that's what you're trying to do, right? You have a feeling, you don't want to feel it, and you think food is going to make it go away. You think food is going to be the answer to it. Food is somehow going to suppress it. What is the feeling that I don't want to feel? And it can be really good to journal this and write this down. I know that's not for everyone, but... I really can't stress enough how massively valuable it is to go through the physical act of writing things down because there is there's a magic in writing. Someone asked me one day, why do you still write down all your live chats instead of typing them? And I don't get the same level of creativity out of typing as I do from physically writing because it's a much slower process and as you are as you are writing these words more slowly because I can type faster than I can write my god but you know as you are slowly writing these words and kind of putting your pen down and thinking about things you think about a lot more and it's also a great way to you know let's let's say you didn't write it down and you just try to think about it Now, when you try to just think about something, how easy is it for your thoughts to wander? Not only that, how easy is it for other thoughts to interrupt your thoughts? You know, your your mind, your brain might be like a whirlwind. You might have lots of things going around. You're trying to fix on this one thing and think about it. Okay, what is this feeling I don't want to feel? And then you're thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about the reason you're upset or the person that's upset you or the situation and your mind's gone off on one. When you write something down on a piece of paper, it can't change. It can't be interrupted. You, your your other hand can't come in and scribble over the top of it and write something else and distract you. Do you know what I mean? So once it's down on paper, once you write that question, what is the feeling I don't want to feel? And then underneath it, you start to write something. I don't want to feel upset. I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to feel empty. I don't want to feel sad. Whatever it is. Then the next question we should ask is, what, what, what would meet this feeling right now? Meaning, 
what could I do that would help me achieve what I'm trying to achieve with the food I'm about to eat? What else could I do to get this same feeling that I'm trying to get but not using food? Where else could I get the way I'm trying to feel right now? Will this food make me feel better or will it make me feel worse? And not just thinking about the physical act of eating, thinking about the whole process from start to finish. Not just eating it. How are you going to feel afterwards? So yes, will this chocolate make me feel better right now? You're damn sure it, you know, it will. You know, And you're eating the chocolate going, this is great. But what about when the chocolate stops and the eating stops? Will you still feel better or will you feel worse? And then we can pause. We can take a pause. Can I just wait for 10 minutes? If I still want it in 10 minutes, I'll have it. But let me just take 10 minutes. Let me just pause and take a breather for 10 minutes. If I still want it, I'll have it. But you'll probably find that you don't. It's also kind of important to... When you're feeling like this, when you are emotionally eating, or or you're going through a period where emotions are high or you know whatever the case may be it's it's probably wise not to unnecessarily expose yourself to hunger because that's a that's a a disaster waiting to happen right i have emotional eating tendencies but then i'm also trying to intermittent fast and i'm skipping breakfast but my lunch at work isn't till one but by 11 a.m i'm ravenous and then we have this kind of bomb waiting to go off where we have this emotional eatings creeping in then we also have this massive hunger you can see how that might not turn out too great so sorry let me come back to this because i think i wandered slightly off topic impulse eating because of emotions are just habit impulse eating so yeah it's the same again what is it you're trying to get the the absolutely crucial thing to remember here right is that We do everything for a reason. There are countless times where I will question people in the group, at their check-ins, and I'm very specific about the way that I ask questions. There is always a reason for the questions that I ask, but we'll be like, okay, so why why did you do that? Why did you eat that in response to that? Oh, I don't know. No reason that I can think of. There's always a reason. If if, If we didn't have a reason for doing something, we wouldn't do it. There is always, 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 always a reason. On the surface, it may not seem like it. It may just seem like something that we did. But sometimes we don't want to know the answer. And sometimes we're too scared to ask the questions because we're, we're, we're worried what it might reveal about ourselves. But if you don't reveal what it is that we're trying to find out about you or about ourselves, then how can you change this thing? You know, this is like the core of everything that I do with everyone that I work with. You know, in order to break free, because the vast majority of people I work with are people that have yo-yo dieted their whole lives or for as long as they can remember starting a diet or being aware of what diets were. The vast majority of people I work with have dieted for a long time, most of their adult lives. Now, if you keep trying to just lose the weight then you will be losing the weight for the rest of your life. Because 
any change you make will only ever be temporary unless we uncover the reasons why you keep finding yourself in that position. So we need to ask these difficult questions. Someone meant, posted a comment on my Facebook business page and I replied, you know, it was about the mindset change. And I said something like, you know, without the change in mindset, any physical change that you make will only ever be temporary, you know, thinking about weight loss. Um, so yeah, the whole, and, and this is such a tricky, interconnected cycle because the binge eating thing, there also comes a measure of our relationship with food. So if people that binge eat, like people don't binge eat on apples, right? People don't binge eat on apples. They don't binge eat on lettuce. They don't binge eat on tomatoes. They binge eat on cakes, on donuts, on sweets, on chocolate, on ice cream. We don't have weekend apple binges. And it's this can be... I've, I've, I've kind of said this to a few people and it's blown their minds a bit. Where... If you think about it, most people split foods into good good and bad categories, okay? Which is another massive thing that we work on with all of our members. You know, in order to improve your relationship with food, we need to get rid of these labels. So yes, you don't binge on the quote-unquote good foods because you think they're good for you. Instead, you would binge on chocolate, on crisps, on sweets, on cakes, etc. Because those are on your bad food list. But it's that bad food list that keeps your binge eating patterns going. Oh, I've blown it. I've blown my diet. I've just had some chocolate. Or, you know, telling yourself, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that chocolate. I'm just going to say no. You fight it, fight it, fight it, and then you have one piece. And you can't just stop there because you feel terrible because you, you've, one, done something you said you weren't going to do. Two, you've eaten what you would normally call a bad food. And three, if it was a big bar of chocolate, you kind of want the evidence gone. You don't want a reminder of it, right? So, let, you know, let's say you have a big bar of chocolate in the fridge because that's where chocolate should be kept. Don't argue with me about it. Um, if you had this kind of negative battle where you fought it, fought it, fought it and then you had one square and then you put it back in the fridge like it's not going to stop there it's it's done now you're going to end up eating all of it or more than you planned and that's where the negative emotions come from and then it just you can see how this is all interconnected and how it just creates this endless cycle of binge eating Good, you know, having that poor relationship with food, labeling foods as good as bad, binge eating on the bad foods, and remember, you will never have a positive experience with a food that you label negatively. Does that make sense? You will never be able to have a positive experience with a food that you ha- attach a negative label to. If you believe that junk food is a thing, if you believe that bad foods are a thing, unhealthy foods are a thing. I lost my shit um, when, not with my son, but to my wife when my son wasn't there, 
when my son came home and started rhyming off all these unhealthy foods. Yep, crisps are unhealthy, cakes are unhealthy, this is unhealthy. You know, primary two, and my son is being set up for a poor relationship with food by his teacher. Not their fault, they are not trained nutritionally, they are just delivering the curriculum to the best of their ability. But you can see how damaging that would be. They basically told him that a lot of the foods that he eats frequently were unhealthy. So how does that then make my six-year-old son feel knowing that a lot of the foods that he eats is unhealthy are unhealthy? You can see how that's setting someone up to have a terrible relationship with food in the future. So again, with the rest of what you've said in the, this message, also being able to say no when cakes are brought around the office. Why? What's the big deal about cakes? The big deal with cakes is the deal that you've made of it because you have placed them in a category. Maybe you don't label them as bad, but you bet, I will bet any money that you put them in a category beside a bunch of other foods, the ones that have already been list, listing. So when it comes to over, you know, so there are there are a few things to work on in there. Number one, the main one is your relationship with food. The way that you think, act and feel about foods is massively influenced by the way that you label them. We need to work on the labels. We need to work on how you group them together. We need to get rid of this idea that we're having something naughty or we're doing something bad or we're ha- or that food is some sort of treat as if you have to reward yourself with food or you're only allowed to eat certain foods when something happens, when you've done something good. That's conditional permission to eat. Oh, I've had a great day today. I'm going to treat myself to this. You know, like rewarding yourself for being good, like you're some dog. Um... You know, we don't need to reward ourselves with food. We just give ourselves food. And that's part of what having a good relationship with food is. Being able to have whatever you want, whenever you want, without any conditions attached. I.e., um, what I'll do is I'll go for a 10k run this morning and I'll be able to order a pizza tonight. That's conditional permission. Whether you have pizza or not is determined on whether you go for a run or not. And remember, that might sound okay, but we're not doing the run. We're not using the pizza to fuel the run. We're using the run to earn the pizza. And that's when things start to become disordered. Um, So yeah, I mean, this kind of swoops into external pressures. I do like to try and keep this at 45 minutes. We're already at 50, but stuff it. Let's make this a 60 minute one. So yeah, being able to say no when cakes are brought around the office. Now, the question is, do you want to say no? Or do you want to have the cake? If you want to have the cake, have it. If you don't want to have it, don't have it. And again, this is part of what improving your relationship with food is. It's not telling yourself, no, you can't have that. Or no, you're not allowed to have that. It's telling yourself, you can have it if you want it. What was the thing I said? Um, I, I was looking through my posts from December and January, year before last, and last year, last January, just to see what kind of things I was posting at that time and what I was talking about. Um, and one of them said, you know, in, instead of 
instead of sitting down and saying, I am going to eat all of this. Like, instead of sitting down to a meal and saying, I am going to eat all of this. Because that's a commitment to clearing the plate. That's you predetermining how much food you're going to consume, not knowing whether or not it's going to be enough for you. Instead of sitting down and saying, I'm going to eat all of this, tell yourself, I am going to eat as much as I want. Those sound similar, but they're two completely different things. One is a commitment to eating everything that's in front of you. The other is a commitment to having as much as you want. And how much you want isn't fixed. It's changeable. Does that make sense? It gives you an out. I'm going to eat as much as I want. And then you get to a point, you're 60% of the way through and you go, yep, I'm done. I've had all that I wanted. And that's completely different to, I am going to eat all of this in the beginning. So the question is then, coming back to the cakes, do you want to have the cakes? If you do, have them. But if you genuinely do not want to have them, then don't. Other people are almost irrelevant. It's sad but true that other people will sabotage other people's diets at every opportunity. And it, there's no malice involved. You know, it's, it's not a lot of the time it's not intentional. A lot of the time it's subconscious. They don't mean any harm by it. But especially when it comes to dieting, and I've seen it in many different places of working over the years, people will sabotage others because they feel bad about what they're doing. Oh, sorry, more accurately, they feel bad about what they're not doing. Seeing someone else do well with their diet makes them feel terrible about them not doing well. I used to work in a place where we used to do Fat Fridays and our sales rep was massively overweight, but he was the all or nothing guy. He was either on the three shakes a day or he was just binge eating. And it was just extremes. You know, he was either trying to drop weight very quickly using whatever shortcut or fad or the complete opposite. And there'd be a couple of weeks where we wouldn't do Fat Fridays because, you know, he was the kind of orchestrator behind him, behind it. And then the Friday would come where he'd, he would just stroll in with 60 quids worth of Greggs to feed, you know, five or six people in this office. Or come in with McDonald's, like a McDonald's buffet. Or he would go to the Chinese where all the school kids go at lunch and he would come in with all these overflowing containers full of food. Because if he wasn't doing it, you know, it's like people that don't drink alone. People don't want to drink alone. They feel better when someone has a drink with them, for the most part. Um. So yeah, it doesn't sound silly not being able to say no. But what is silly is allowing other people to dictate whether or not your body needs fuel. Here's an example. I've just made this up off the top of my head. I don't know why I've never thought about it before. Could you imagine being at a petrol station and walking up to someone's car and just taking the petrol pump off them and sticking it in their car and filling their car up 
you know, whether whether it needed it or not, they were you. They might have been finished. They might have already been paid. They might be getting ready to leave, and you just go strolling in there and start pumping petrol into this car, and it starts overflowing and pouring out. It's you know, it's not up to us to determine how much fuel someone else's car needs. In the same way that it's not up to someone else to determine how much fuel your body needs, because at its base level, that's what food is. Food is the thing that fuels our activity each day. And we are the ones that should be in charge of and should know what it's going to take to fuel our body in a day. And I don't know if I've spoken about this in the podcast already, but we've, you know, we get into the habit of attaching food to things. Every time I do this, I do this. Every time I have a cup of tea, I have two custard creams. And then how many custard creams you have is determined by how many cups of tea you have. Every time I go to this place, every time I go to Ikea, we get meatballs and a hot dog. But there's a week where you have to go to Ikea three times. So it ends up this thing where we attach and get pick and mix, of course. I've not been to Ikea in ages. I almost forgot the pick and mix. When we attach our consumption to the external, if we eat every time we're bored, if we eat every time we're in the car, if we eat every time we're stressed, since we've been talking about that today, then the amount of energy that we consume has nothing to do with our activity level. And we've, we've handed it off to the external. Every time, if you say yes, every time someone hands you something to eat, then what happens when you go through a time where lots of people are handing you things to eat? You are then allowing other people to dictate your weight, to dictate your calorie consumption. You are handing over the responsibility of your weight to an external factor, to other people. You know, people say... You know, my mum's a feeder or my grand's a feeder. No, that's fine. They can try and feed you, but unless they are pinning you down and ramming stuff down your throat, they're not really feeding you. They're not really a feeder. You're the one taking it. Does that make sense? My mother-in-law used to. Um, my mother-in-law used to give me a hard time for not finishing my mashed potatoes because of what I spoke about earlier. The way I balance my meals. You know, so she makes traditional dinners, very meat and vegetable orientated dinners. I would eat whatever the protein was. I would eat all my vegetables. And if I was ever going to leave anything, I'm not a massive fan of mash, right? So I would leave most of the mashed potatoes. It doesn't mean that I don't like them. I enjoy them and I have them with my meal. However, my fork is not got, you know, my fork's not like 90% mash, 10% protein and veggies. It's just not the way that I eat. And she used to say, oh, you don't like my mashed potatoes, do you? I was like, no, I do like them. But I was full, and that was what was left on my plate. And she used to give me a hard time about it, until we had a chat about it one day. And she realised how unhelpful that was. Questioning someone's eating habits. And it's so true, like, it's not up to other people how much you eat. It's ridiculous when you think about it. Why do we allow other people to dictate our intake? Ultimately, the choice is down to us. We are the ones that put it in our mouth. We are the ones that eat it. 
We are the one that have we are the ones that have the final say. But you know, it wasn't silly to say, you know, you're not being able to say no. But once you start thinking of it a different way, that will make it easier to say no. Oh no, thank you. I'm not hungry. I'll go and just have one. No thanks. And if they keep, I mean, I'm different. I would just tell them to fuck off eventually, to be honest. But I understand that not everybody can do that in the workplace. <laughs> um, but yeah, find a way that is acceptable in your environment to say no a little more sternly. And so what if people talk like, who cares? Oh, she's on a diet. She's not having that because she's on a diet. No. She's not having that because she has a great relationship with food and she knows to say no or yes, depending on what she wants to do. She is no longer allowing you, Karen, the cake feeder, to decide how many cakes she eats in a day or whether she does or doesn't eat cake or not. So if you want to have the cakes, have them. If you don't want to have them, don't have them. It is far better to say no than it is to say yes and feel shit about it afterwards. Because that's the thing, right? If if you're saying no because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so you say no, you think their feelings are hurt and you feel a little bit bad about it. You say yes, you eat the cake, you know you didn't really need it or want it, and then you feel bad about it. So is it not better to feel bad without doing something that you didn't want to do than it is to feel bad about doing it. I think we'll leave it there on that bombshell. Um, so yeah, it, the whole binge eating, impulse eating, emotional eating, it is all interlinked and it all comes down to, not all comes down to, that's probably not right to say, but most of it comes down to our relationship with food. Because the foods that we binge and emotionally eat on, you know, we're not sitting emotionally eating salads and tomatoes and apples, etc. We do on the foods that we place in the category. And, you know, it's all right to say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know, I don't think of things as good. You probably do, but there will be people that say, no, no, I don't call them good. I don't call them bad. But at the same time, I guarantee you would still lump crisps cakes, chocolate, sweets, etc. together in a category. And that's, it's not the same as labelling them negatively, but you're still lumping them together. You are still, what's the word? You're still splitting them into categories. You're not treating all food with the same respect. And if you don't treat all food the same, then you will never have a good relationship with all foods. I've said this before, I could eat a chocolate bar right now if I wanted to. But I don't. I could do it if I wanted to, but I don't want to. And if I did do it, if I wanted to go and get chocolate right now and eat it, I would go and do it. But it would be be doing it for no reason other than chocolate tastes nice. There's no purpose behind it. There's no reason behind it. I would just be eating something because it tasted nice. You know, in an ideal world, how great would it be to get drunk all the time and be merry and be fun, but we don't do it because we know that's ridiculous. Um... And the thing is, we, we have limits. We have limitations. We all have limits. You know, if, if we wanted to... 
The reason that we know we can overcome behaviours is because we already have limits in place. If someone, you know, people say, oh, I'm a chocoholic. I'm like, right, do you eat chocolate from the second that you wake up until the second you go to bed? No. Well, you do have some measure of control then. Because if you were a chocoholic, the first thing you did when you wake up would be to eat chocolate and you would still be eating it as you fell asleep at night. But you don't. You're calling yourself a chocoholic, but really you have a bit of chocolate at lunchtime and then you have a bit of chocolate after dinner. If you can exert that kind of level of control, then you can change. <clears throat> you can change that. That's movable. In the same way that, you know, I, I, once, you, once you have that realization that if, if you can control it that much, then you can control it much more. But we're limited by the things that we believe and the way that we describe ourselves and all these other things. Anyway, stuff for another podcast. So this has been an extra long one. Um, I hope it's been useful. I hope it's been helpful. Um, we will do another one in two weeks' time. I will get more suggestions and topics to talk about or I might come back to this one because there was a few more things but I ended up taking up all the time with the things we act about. Right, until next time, people. Goodbye. And thank you for listening. It really does mean a lot. And as I've said before, it's I can, we can't get feedback on podcasts. So if you do listen to this, tell me on the Daily Post if you're a member or drop me a PM on Instagram. Um, positive or negative, either way, I won't listen to the negative ones, but I will listen to the positive ones. That's not true. Right, see you next time.